Hey everyone and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host Jonathan and this is DCI number 94. About a game that is currently in the middle of its Kickstarter campaign, Venture Forth. Venture Forth is a procedurally generated exploration game that's heavily inspired by the likes of Metroid and Castlevania. For more information about the game, check out the show notes to this episode on darkstation.com. You can follow us at darkstation underscore com on Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and you can send us an email at podcast at darkstation.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now on with the show. are glad to have you on the Darkcast. How are you guys doing? I'm doing pretty well. Glad to be here. Fantastic. Yeah, same here. Thank you for having us. Fantastic. Well, we are here to talk about Venture Forth, uh, which is a game that's currently in the middle of its Kickstarter campaign. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of the game, uh, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what you do at your respective companies? Well, uh, I am Jeremiah Ingham. But you can just call me Jeremy. Okay. And I am the developer for Venture Forth. So I handle all the programming and, and game design and everything like that. So this is, this is your baby. This is my baby. That's right. <laughs> nice. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my name's Colin Sullivan. Uh, just call me Colin. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm half of a company called Indie Voyage, and uh, we work with uh, basically really small developers like Jeremy um, to sort of help flesh out their team a little bit. Uh, we, we focus really on, on helping games get through crowdfunding, and we've, we've done one project so far called Reassembly, which was crowdfunded uh, last September and then was released this February. And uh, so Venture Forth is our second project. Very cool. Very cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, I don't mean to, to jump too far ahead yet, but uh, with the Kickstarter campaign, kind of a lot of the uh, uh, the reason behind it is getting some additional talents um, on the the team as far as like art and music. So, Colin, Very is that so. is that part of your job? Is kind of getting those other resources in contact with Jeremy? Is that kind of yeah, that's there. part of it. Um, also, just sort of structuring the whole the whole deal and having some some expertise on that side of it. Um, so yeah, it's it's basically being the contact point for for multiple people on a team when uh, when the developer doesn't have that set up already. Nice, nice. Now, uh, Jeremy, how long have you actually been working on Venture Forth? I've been working on it for uh, almost two years now. Um, so. I actually started it um, at the end of 2012, but I didn't really uh, get into it like full time uh, until a few months after that. Um, but yeah, so we're a good bit in. Awesome! It certainly mm-hmm. looks like there's a lot there, just judged by the uh, like the Kickstarter videos and the kind of demos you put up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point, um, the game is mostly done, and so. Uh, like we say in the Kickstarter, um, the primary things that we're looking to do are add all of the extra 
and sounds to give it that extra polish and really make it uh, look professional. Hmm. Very cool. Very cool. So I, I assume this has been a, a very kind of nights and weekends sort of, of project for you? Um, I've actually been working on it full time. Oh wow! So Fantastic. yeah, how how is, is how has that worked? How, how do you how do you make a living uh, um, working on a game for two years? So I've um, I have a little bit of savings from uh, an inter- uh, internships and a okay. uh, job, but I've actually been living with my dad um, for the last couple of years. Okay, uh, to save money on rent and that sort of thing. So nice. yeah, nice. Works that out pretty well. That is awesome because I, I always really pity the people that are like, yeah, I've been working on this for five years, and I also have a forty-hour week job, and I, you know, I'm married and have kids, and it's like, where, when do you sleep, man? Like, how have you? Never. Like, you're making me feel really bad because because I enjoy a good sleep. I, I apparently, I'm just not as driven as you. Um, but that is that is awesome that that uh, that's been an opportunity for you. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, Basically, after college, like I decided that, hey, this is something that I really want to do, and so I jumped full in. Was this something that you went to school for? Um, I actually learned programming in school, and so with programming, game development was just like a natural instant step. Mm -hmm. It's just like, wow, I can program. All right, let's make games. (laughs) Done. (laughs) Where did you go to school? Uh, UCLA. Okay. Yep. Very cool. Uh, so currently, the the studio is is just you. You are Arclight Worlds. That's right. Yep. Okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. So yeah. I I would ask you about you know the age and the the size of the company, but yeah, we we pretty much uh, we summed pretty it up right there. That, yeah. So. Um. Yeah. So, oh, I guess uh, it was technically founded in like February of 2013. Um. But yeah. So just me. Nice. But with uh, this Kickstarter, um, basically I'm looking to uh, work with an artist and a sound designer and a composer. So, yeah. So they'll kind of be part of the team as well. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. So we're, we're, we are trying to grow Arclight Worlds here. That is that's that's right. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> So, but but you were making a a very real game. It's not just about growing, you know, the, the company. But what what is Venture Forth? Venture Forth. Well, the heart of this game is exploration, and so, uh, like I said, I actually started the game uh, at the end of 2012, and that's actually when I had the amazing opportunity to visit Australia. And one of the things that I was able to do in Australia. So, so this is an Australian simulator. <laughs> gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah, you you could. I, I got gotcha. you. You could almost that explains say that. all the things that can kill. Yeah, you. it does. <laughs> uh, it it all makes sense now. Okay, so all yes. of if, if this is if this is based in us, if this is supposedly Australia, what what's with all the owl hate? Because I watched that demo. Um, throughout that demo, there is a ton of just there is fire owl killing. There's great owl killing. These owls not only are, are extremely they're, they're rare for people. living in a cave, but <laughs> what's going on? They're like they're like little evil minions that are like cute, but really sin at the same time. Hmm. So drop bears. This is the drop bear equivalent. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Okay. All right. 
Sorry to get are they, off track are, there. Are <laughs> at being indigenous with like my you know like bunny rabbit quotes um, to fake Australia? Are they poisonous as well? Oh, everything in Australia okay. is poisonous. <laughs> is everything in in Venture Forth poisonous? It, well, I guess first question: Does um, Venture Forth take place in some weird alternate Australia? Not specifically. Okay. okay. <laughs> Where does Venture? Uh, What's going on? Uh, well, it takes place in a fantasy world, really. Um, it's in this magical caverns, and um, so it's actually these volcanic caverns, and um, it's your job to go into these caverns and actually silence the volcano, which is like threatening your village, and so that's like your overarc- overarching objective. Um, but it's left pretty open ended because you know the the focus of the game is open world exploration, and so really I'm trying to leave it so that you can go anywhere and do anything in this cave that you want. Hmm. Silencing a volcano so, sounds like a really big job. Does yeah. How does it is. how does, how does uh, a fantasy person go about doing that? Uh, well, you you gotta you gotta capture the heart of the volcano. Oh, okay. You gotta steal it. How, uh, how do you, how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, gloves. <laughs> yes, as best gloves. as gloves. <laughs> um. Well, you have to go in and you have to find it. And currently, um, it exists. You can find it, and when you find it, you can steal it. But once you steal it it kind of unleashes a whole bunch of evil all around the cave and then at that point you are tasked with getting the hell out of there without dying which is exceedingly difficult okay yes so does the volcano start to like implode on itself once you steal it or uh yeah a little bit okay um basically there's like uh kind of earthquakes that are going on all the time and uh the world actually like the the actual fabric of space starts to decay and so like the whole world just starts warping and uh it's actually pretty cool um yeah and a very powerful creature is released which is then hunting you down ah and trying to get that heart (laughs) very cool yeah so, so is it that the volcano can't live without its heart, or is it the destruction that this creature is causing that is is causing everything to kind of fall apart? Um, kind of a combination. So the heart um, was actually so the volcano was kind of created in order to seal away this evil, and so and the heart was like the key to everything. And mm. so once you remove the heart then it just starts unleashing all sorts of crazy. And obviously nobody told John Q. Adventurer. Exactly. He's just going like, on. oh man, we, we gotta stop this volcano. So. Nice. Yes. Well, I, I just realized that we totally got you off track. You were <laughs> going to talk about how this game was inspired by visiting Australia. Oh yeah, I did. <laughs> Let, let's go back to that real quick. <laughs> all right. Um, 
Yeah, well, so like I was saying, back in 2012, I visited Australia, and one of the things I got to do when I visited Australia um, was tour this amazing cave system called Janolan Caves, and it is it it is an incredible cave system. It is larger than anything I've ever seen before, and I mean, I I was only able to spend a few days there, and you know, I I toured a good bit of it, but there is like I only was able to see a very small portion of this cave. I mean, this thing just goes for like miles underground and it was really inspiring to like be in this cave and just imagine how far it went and like what you might find and like there's so much of this cave that hasn't even been discovered yet. They they are still mapping everything out. And Oh wow. Yeah. Um, and so touring this cave was like really inspiring for me. It was, it like created a very strong urge to explore. And so basically I was like, I want to capture this in a game. And so started making Venture Forth. Nice. So you, you mentioned that you know the the objective is to steal the the heart of the volcano, but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's also just kind of an excuse to let you explore this you know mm-hmm. underground cave system. Um, yeah. So how what are we kind of doing in the game besides exploring? What what are some of the the base mechanics of, of Venture Forth? So it is a lot in common with a roguelite, uh, a roguelike, and so basically. Uh, as you explore this cave, you gain new equipment and weapons and abilities and that sort of thing. And so uh, you become physically stronger and are able to take on uh, more powerful creatures that you've come across, as well as like acquire abilities that allow you to reach new areas in the cave. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, the, the more you explore, the more things that you obtain and the further you can get. Very cool. So it's very roguelike meets, you know, kind of Metroidvania sort of feel. Yes, yes. It's very much Metroidvania inspired. Very cool. So how how do you handle death then? I mean, is it... Do you get to keep some of that equipment? What... How roguelike is it? Um... Well, when I originally started creating the game, I wanted it to be, like, full roguelike. Like, you just go out into this cave, and it's a dangerous place, and when you die, you, you just have to start over. But um, I, I th- throughout the development of the game, I kind of decided that that went a little bit against the uh, exploration focus. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you go into this cave, and you get really far, and then you die, and it's, like, really difficult to get to that point again and uh, at some point you start worrying more about survival than exploration and that yeah yeah kind of from what you were looking for which survival is definitely still a big focus of the game um, and so the game is also like procedurally generated and so if you die and you just have to start over then when you start a new game then everything's procedurally generated again and so in the previous world that you were in, like you can't discover anything else in that world because it's gone. Hmm. So anyway, so since then I've uh, kind of implemented a saving system 
where you have the ability to um, acquire this item that lets you save whenever you want, but it has like limited uses. And so you have to really think about like when you want to use your saves. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, and so this this saving ability is almost like a resource that you have to manage. Hmm. Is there any way to refill it, or...? Yes. So, um, I've decided to uh, actually allow you to be able to sacrifice some of your life in order to refill it. So, hmm. the, the saving is a resource, but it kind of translates into... Uh, your life in general as a resource. Okay. So, like, you can refill your crystal and save again in order to uh, be much safer in the next fight that you have, or you can just go into the fight with more life. That sort of thing. Nice. That's, that's really it's interesting. A, it's a gamble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, how easy is it then to come by? things that refill your health um so the you find health potions throughout the cave and uh creatures in general tend to carry health potions Mm -hmm. so if you choose to take on a creature and defeat it um it'll commonly have like a couple swigs of health and um so you can hunt down creatures in order to acquire health potions and uh, replenish your health uh, if you're running low. Mm, okay. But in general, like combat is optional, and so you know going around and killing everything in the cave is not necessarily going to make you the strongest that you could be. And so, mm. like, um, which is pretty common to a lot of a lot of roguelikes, um, where a lot of them are like level based. Like you, you have. A level that's generated, and then you basically destroy everything in the level, and then you go to the next level, and then you destroy everything in that level, and then you go to the next level. And if you ever like skip any creatures and just continue down along the way, then you're almost like hurting yourself because you don't get the experience points from destroying them, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to avoid that incentive to like hunt down every single thing in this cave, otherwise, you would be like missing out. And so in general, pretty much every enemy in the game is, like, an obstacle. And so only one of the ways of defeating it is through combat. Or get only one of the ways of getting past it is through combat. So what are some of the other ways? Um, so uh, just using stealth. And so, like, each, each creature has vision... And so you uh, can just avoid having it notice you and leave. Um, and uh, or just like run past it and uh, the creatures will follow you for a little while. Um, and uh, but at some point, they'll leave you alone. I mean, not all in the game, are in uh, not all the creatures in the game have the incentive of just like destroying you outright. Like there's a lot of just ambient creatures that are just like minding their own business. And if you attack them, then they will either become hostile to you or just run away. 
Another option, which I've uh, done on a few playthroughs, is sometimes the cave will connect in interesting ways. So you might come across a really difficult to defeat creature, but you can actually get around it through another part of the cave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. In that and case, so, an exp- that's kind of an exploration where yeah. you know, just finding a way around it is, is possible. Exactly. And so, like, sometimes there will be creatures that um, are, like, really strong and you can't get past, and so you just have to avoid them um, at that point and find another way around. Okay. Uh, in, watching the, uh, in watching the demo, um, one of the big things you pointed out was the map, which mm-hmm. in, in, in something, in a kind of a game like this, that's kind of a rare occurrence to see. Uh, how does that work with the procedural generation? Is that something that you always have access to, or is that something that you're kind of filling in as you explore? Uh, uh, yeah, you fill it in as you explore. And so um, right now, when when you start the game, it, it starts with a couple areas, like, deeper into the cave that are, like, partially explored, so that when you look at the map, uh, you can be like, oh, hey, there's these areas that are, like, really deep. How do I get to them? And so it kind of gives you that incentive to go deeper. And um, but obviously, like none of the map between you and that area is filled in, and so you have to figure out how to get there. But as you explore throughout the game, um, it'll fill that in for you and just add anywhere that you explore to the map. Hmm. Very cool. Is it always? Is <coughs> I'm sorry. Does it always mm-hmm. have kind of that uh, that three D look to it? Um, is there kind of like a, or, or I mean, obviously, like the, the game does, um, or is it? Uh, is there any kind of like a like a two D like kind of flat look? Like, okay, here I am in relationship to all this other stuff, or are you um, all just kind of like going through it as you almost would walk through it? Yeah. So I actually originally um, started out design a two dimensional map, and mm-hmm. the game is simply too three D for that to work. And okay. so the map is is always 3D at this point. Hmm. Like it it just twists around on itself and loops back and it, there's just there's no good way to represent that with a two-dimensional map. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So, yeah. Cool. So um being that um you know it's it's kind of a roguelike it's it's kind of uh metroidvania is there any sort mm-hmm. of character progression or is it more based on the equipment that you get um currently it's based uh it, it is most on the equipment that you get and so um you know as i said it's primarily exploration focused and so it gives you a lot of incentive to find items that are hidden in this cave okay and so um yeah like said it's not about keeping to level up it's about exploring and finding items that make you stronger cool okay yeah nice uh now now one of the things that i I don't remember if it was just on the kickstarter or if it was in the the video um but you kind of talked about um both having the procedural generation and some handcrafted elements how right right. how did those go hand in hand because those kind of seem like opposites yeah so um, it's it's kind of interesting. And so basically how the procedural generation works is um, I have a whole bunch of what I call landmark areas, which are like halfway between a room and a level. And each of those are uh, mapped out beforehand. And so they're carefully designed. Um, and so there's like 
a group of these landmark areas that I have to choose from. And so when you start the game, then it selects a subset of that, places it into the world, and then procedurally connects them. Hmm. So, yeah. So, so you're not always going to see mm-hmm. the, the same handful of pre-designed exactly. areas. Yeah. But it, if you played through enough, eventually you would start to see some of the same ones just you know, in different orders. Exactly. And, okay. So, you know, one playthrough, you might find the funnel in one place, and then the next time you play it again, you might find it in a completely different place, or it might just not exist at all, and you'll find other areas instead. Okay. Yeah. Cool. How, how deep does the cave go? Because um, there seemed to be a real kind of verticality to everything, uh, especially when you got into yeah. a lot of the, um, uh, like, the air vents. Yeah. And the going up and the going down, that seemed... Uh, like a real big part of what's going on. Yeah, so definitely when like the level design of this game, I I really wanted to uh, emphasize the 3D world that you're in because um, since it's underground and a cave, like you can really go in any direction. And so um, making the world very much 3D uh, was a big focus that uh, I wanted to work on. Nice. Nice. Um, now, obviously, you know the the world is procedurally generated. Are the weapons and the the stuff that you're finding is that also procedural, or are you finding the same kinds of, of things? Um, so, a lot of the creatures uh, have randomized loadouts, and so um, you know, one creature might have armor that ups his defense and life, while another creature has armor that ups his attack um, and actually lowers his life. And so one creature would um, be much more defensive while the next one would be much more offensive. And so there's procedural generation in terms of the creatures that you'll come across. Um, But the items that they drop uh, come from like a, a large library of potential items that you could find. Okay. Now, are, are you able to affect how items work? Uh, is, there, is there any sort of crafting or, or modding or anything like that? Um, there's, there's no crafting um, or anything like that. Uh, but if you happen to find a duplicate of an item that you already have, you'll actually level up that item, and then hmm. its stats will become better. So kind of like feeding weapons to each other, like in Dark exactly. Siders 2. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I'm on board. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's that's pretty cool. There's nothing worse than seeing, uh, you know, two items in your inventory that are identical and just both barely worse than the thing that you are currently wielding. Yeah. It's like, I can't do anything with these. They're stuck. Yeah, and then but they're just junk just in your inventory. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. I like it. So... Yeah, kind of, kind of how that works is there's um, like more common uh, items that you can find that are like, like th- there's um, a rarity system, and so items that are like your traditional white rarity that aren't very good, you'll find a lot of them, and they'll level up a lot, um, and they'll be like your standard items. And so since they're leveling up so much, they will a lot of times. Um, 
actually be a valid option for you to use uh, in addition to you know some of the unique items that you'll find where you'll only find one copy of them hmm. and that one copy is like super good um, and so you might want to use just use that or use your like sword that's plus 20 <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the items also have a lot of different variables like uh, they up or lower your speed or your defense mm-hmm. or your health or a lot of mm. other attributes so one thing I, I've definitely found is that you might have a standard loadout that you use for sort of a lot of combat but against certain enemies you, you might tweak it in a particular way so that you're more effective against them mm-hmm. Is there a limit to how much you could hold or is like John Q Adventure just a hoarder he has a great way of storing this stuff He, he has a great way of storing this stuff Excellent <laughs> Yes does he have the uh, the Santa Claus bag from Ernest Saves Christmas? Um, it's two yeah, swords and a bag, you bag full of cheese wheels. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, are there cheese wheels? Just for clarification. There currently is not. Okay. But okay. Yeah, yeah. stay tuned. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Part of survival is eating. Cheese wheel? So, no, no. They'll be like projectiles that you just like oh, throw absolutely. at enemies. No, yeah. as, as oh, yeah. I was talking about trauma. eating the like, cheese wheel. Like, <laughs> like, like cheese frisbees. You can throw at people and, and knock exactly. off ledges. Yeah, yeah. Chakrams. Or, or if it's if it's uh, like rotten cheese, then you could plant that out as a trap to get around one of your enemies. It goes and eats it, and you know it, it has. Irritable bowel syndrome. Thank you for, right thank you for spoiling Venture uh, yes. Fourth Mouse Edition. Uh, yeah. So it, yeah turns out, it turns out John Q. Adventure is actually a mouse, and that's why there's so many owls. It's it's mm. all a story of survival. It's yeah. actually a story of revenge. Actually, revenge. It's, mm. mouse revenge. It's, uh, mouse against owls. Absolutely. We're we are spoiling all this lore. <laughs> yeah. The big second second act reveal. Out in the open. I'm sorry, Jeremiah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but actually, um, one of the interesting items that I've added called the hand. And what it does is it fires a projectile that creates an explosion that actually blows all the creatures around it like away really far. And so you, it, it doesn't do a whole lot of damage in itself. But if you happen to run across a creature that's like really powerful. You can kind of lure him over to a cliff and then just like blow him off the cliff. So the same, the same rules that apply to, to apply to you apply to the enemies too. So if, exactly, if, they, if you're taking fall damage, they're taking fall damage. Exactly, and so you can also blow yourself off the cliff if you're not careful. And in addition to that, you can actually use it constructively and be like, "Hey, there's like a ledge way up there that I need to get to. Let's use this hand cannon to help me jump up there." Fantastic! You just answered my question. Is there quake-style yeah. rocket jumping? All right. Of course. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Now, you, you broke up just a little bit when you said the name of that device. What What is that? I call it the hand cannon. Okay. Nice. Yeah. It's, like it. it's actually one-handed, which is pretty impressive, I must say. <laughs> can, you, can you hold two of them, then? Uh... Well, if you find a duplicate of it, it'll level itself up. Mm. But you can equip any other one-handed item to your other hand, and so there are going to be a number of uh, items that 
increase your movement, like this hand cannon, like there'll be like a hook shot and that sort of thing. And so you could equip like your hand cannon and then your hook shot. So you like blow yourself across this canyon and then like whip out your hook shot and like uh, pull yourself to the other ledge nice. on the other side. Very nice. Now, as far as the the weapon combination goes, do weapons have to be exactly the same, or if, say, two weapons are very similar, like the same type of weapon, you have two hand cannons, but you know they're they're different. One of them's rare, and the other one's common, or you know one of them is you know slightly different than the other. Will they still combine, or how, do, how does that kind of work? So, um there there's no variability in between like individual types of weapons so like the hand okay. cannon will always be the same and so, so we're, we're not looking for any sort of borderlands type of absurdity right here. exactly okay. no um so uh like when it when it comes to the combat i i wanted to stay away from like random rolls and that sort of thing so there's no random calls that are made whenever you like attack an enemy. Like you have an a we- you have a weapon, it does an amount of damage, they have an amount of defense, and you will deal that much damage. Okay. And uh also like if you get around behind them, you can deal backstab damage, that sort of thing. So there's no like random crit rolls, but you know, if you get if you maneuver yourself into the right place, then you'll crit them like over and over again because you're hitting them in the back. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. All right. How many different, like, ways are there to... that you have to attack stuff? Because I saw there was, you know, you've got, obviously, you've got ranged, you've got missiles, um, mm-hmm. you've got cannons. Uh, there's also, you, you talked about dual wielding and, like, you know, having kind of uh, light on one side and a sword on the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what kind of options are people looking at for for dealing with all these uh, denizens of the cave? Um, well, right now the the primary weapons are uh, your swords for melee and your bows for range. And beyond that, there's uh, a whole bunch of unique items that you can find that have special abilities, um, like magical staffs and things like the hand cannon and that sort of thing. So, yeah, cool. yeah. So what uh, what platform are we looking to play? Venture. So, play? it will release on PC, and okay. I will probably do a port to Mac and Linux, um, but that will come after release. So okay, yeah, nice. Uh, what what kind of release date are we looking at? Uh, sometime around October. Okay. Very cool. Uh, just for my own personal wondering, uh, do you mm-hmm. have any sort of controller support? Uh, I am planning to add controller support, yeah. Okay. And I think this game will work really well with controller support. I'm, I, really, I, I'm really dorky when it comes to controllers. I, I like them a lot. I, so, you know. Yeah. Just, one one just... kind of support that I really <laughs> want to add to this uh, to this game is VR support virtual reality. I think this game would work really well in virtual reality. And so uh, um, that's going to be another thing that I want to port it to after releasing. Sweet. Yeah. I don't even want to think about falling down a hole like that <laughs> in virtual reality. That's... Oh, it, it would be so good. It oh would be so good. Yes. Hope you don't have vertigo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yep. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, um, you're you're in the middle of a Kickstarter campaign. Yep. Why Kickstarter? And we kind of already talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but mm-hmm. you know. yeah. So, like I said, a lot of the game is already complete, and I'm looking um, to hire an artist and a sound designer and a composer um, to model all of the extra critters that I want to add to this world and items and add all of the immersive sound effects to go with that. And um, also, obviously, the, the sound track. Uh, the soundtrack. Let's go to the background. Yeah, there, there's there's basically only so much that a, a single programmer can do with the game. Yeah, and and at this point, it's you know the gameplay is pretty much there. Just a few things to, to yeah. you know do here and there, but it it does need art. You know, it does need exactly uh, better sound like, effects and more music. I've and... I've looked into uh, doing 3D modeling and like I've learned a little bit of it myself, and like I can kind of make my way around a 3D modeling program Mm -hmm. but to really be like a professional 3D modeler it takes so much practice and um, it would be much better for me to just go to a professional and have it do it for me than trying to learn that all myself (laughs) makes sense yeah makes sense well, uh, what are some of the uh, rewards in regards to uh, what people can get by funding the, the game? Um, well, beyond an actual uh, copy of the game, beta access, that sort of thing, you can mm-hmm. also get um, like a digital art, art book where we'll put, put together a whole bunch of like uh, work-in-progress stuff, and so you'll get to see all of the concept art and all of like the stages of development. And so that'll all be nice, neatly put together. And then there's also a t-shirt tier, which is always one of my favorites. Um, so you'll get your own t-shirt. And there's also a name a skeleton tier, where there will be a whole bunch of... Uh, you'll, you'll periodically be able to find skeletons throughout this cave that are kind of like explorers that have gone before you and fallen. And so you get to be one of those skeletons. And so, you know, you'll come across these skeletons that each have the name of, like, one of these backers. And so that's pretty cool. Nice. Now, will these be any sort of, like, mini-bosses or anything like that? or um, The skeletons will not be mini-bosses. However, there is are a couple higher tiers. Um, the two highest tiers, one is to... Uh, design your own piece of equipment so you get to work with me and the artist uh, to basically create any type of item that you want to create and that's pretty exciting and the highest tier is you get to create any creature that you want to and at that point you can actually create your own boss that sort of thing yeah our our general sort of philosophy in terms of uh, Kickstarter rewards, and we, we did this as well with our previous project, was that we try to keep it as much of it focused on sort of the game itself and not a bunch of, you know, outside rewards. Um, and so, like, the t-shirt is an example of an outside reward where it's, you know, it's something which you have to create and then spend money on that has nothing to do with the game. Um, mm-hmm. But we try to keep mm-hmm. most of it as things that will either... Uh, directly improve the game like more equipment or more creatures um, 
or just you know go into the game like naming a skeleton or something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Now, um, I, I guess this is you know for for both of you, but kind of slightly different questions. Jeremy, what's this been like, kind of doing your your first Kickstarter campaign, and Colin, what's this been like doing your second one? Like, you know, how's it different, and what are some mm-hmm. of the challenges and similarities and all that kind of stuff? Whoever wants to to go first on that, it's it's definitely been uh, quite an adventure. I have learned so much um, about this process. I mean, like marketing and PR stuff, that sort of thing is definitely like not something I've done a whole lot of in the past and so I've I've really been learning a lot of new things and so it's been quite an adventure yeah and I'd say I mean it, you know it's still a learning experience for us as well you know this is only our second project so we're we're definitely far from perfect but I think we're starting to solidify our, our sort of our processes and you know how we approach uh, uh, both creating the campaign and marketing it and uh and also just, you know, how we work with developers. Um, and with reassembly, there was a, a few uh, other people outside the developer that we were working with, but with uh, VentureForth, it's uh, a much bigger, um, they have a much bigger role, you know, like the artist and, and mm-hmm. such. So it's also been uh, interesting, you know, like figuring that, that whole side of it out. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we're, um, we're doing pretty well so far. Um, we had a, a good first couple of days, and then it slowed down over the weekend. But we're still only uh, four days into it, so we got quite a ways to go, and we intend to keep going full steam as, as long as we can. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. That's that's exciting to hear. Mm-hmm. Who's the name? What's the name of the dragon thing in your uh, in the picture? He's a chamber dragon. Oh. He protects the chamber. Are there other types of dragons? What's that? Are there other types of dragons? Um right now he's uh he is the unique dragon. Um but when when we release there will be like various versions of him that you will be able to come across throughout the cave. And a lot of them will be, like, optional bosses, that sort of thing. Okay. So as far as kind of optional bosses go, um, Mm -hmm. since you're not fighting them for experience, Mm -hmm. what's what's kind of driving you to to fight something like that? Um, Well, beyond the incentive of just taking something on and being like, haha, I came out victorious um you know a lot of these creatures will have items and so you know this really difficult dragon might take you like a long time to defeat but he will reward you with like really powerful equipment Hmm. and um so will will uh any of these uh enemies will they be the ones that are dropping um stuff more like the the hook shot and stuff like that that seem like they would be you know kind of more unique items or will that stuff be found you know through caves and and enemies will give you 
just you know more powerful weapons and, and stuff yeah. like that. How how does that when it when it, when it comes to items like hookshot and um, you know items that you're gonna need to acquire in order to like reach all the parts of the cave, mm-hmm. those are going to be more hidden um, in various areas that you just need to find uh, rather than boss loot drops. Um, like I said, there's going to be very few bosses that you're required to defeat in order to progress throughout the game. And so... Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Alright, well, Brian, do you have any uh, more questions before we go into the end game? No, I think we're cool to, to go into the end endgame. Um, uh, so, we do like to end with a little bit of a questionnaire. Uh, both of okay. you feel free to answer. Um, it's more personal and less kind of uh, direct game focus. Uh, yeah. But uh, here we go. So uh, question number one, uh, who is your favorite video game protagonist? Who's your favorite uh, good guy or anti-hero? I would probably have to say uh, Samus. Hmm. Okay. That's a fair answer. She kicks butt. Is yeah, there, she a, does. there a, fam- uh, a favorite Met- Metroid game? Um, I personally have always been partial to the original Metroid because that was, like, a big part of my childhood, and that was one of, like, the original games that really got me into video games. Um, and that original Metroid game really does, like, share a lot of qualities with uh, Venture Forth as well in terms of exploration of the world, and I, I really enjoyed it. You have a better map. (laughs) <laughs> slightly yes yeah yeah for me it's uh that's a really tough question um i, I think i generally uh tra- i prefer games where sort of you're creating your own pre- protagonist in ways so um it, i don't think it's it's a great it's not a great question for me because i'm thinking of ones where it's like you're making the decisions and it's sort of like you and your character um but yeah, I don't think I have a favorite uh, <laughs> one that's written. <laughs> All right, well, flipping uh, it you, out. Uh huh. Well, I, do you have a favorite kind of version of of your oh, character of a particular game? Hmm. Um. For instance, like both Brian and I are very partial to like Fem Shep over male Shep when it comes to uh, Mass Effect. Do you have anybody kind of like that? Maybe that you. Or a particular character that you just played in a unique way? Yeah. Um, I, well, uh, probably one of my favorite, and it's less about the narrative and more about the gameplay style, mm-hmm. is um, I did once a full playthrough of uh, Baldur's Gate 1, 2, and the expansions. I, didn't, I don't think I, I quite finished it, but I played through with one uh, character all the way through with a few mods added on here and there um, and I managed to do it uh, with a solo uh, sorcerer and that was uh, or it, with most of the parts, there's a few parts where you have to add in characters to get through sections and I think that was one of my favorite characters which I I took through a very long journey <laughs> Nice Very cool all right, Sorry Brian No problem uh, flip of the flip of the coin. Um, question number two: Who's your favorite antagonist? Who's your favorite bad guy or girl? Ganon. 
<laughs> okay. Nice. Uh, yeah, Which Ganon? Like, like Big Beefy Ganon or like Ganondorf? Big Beefy Ganon. Okay. I would have to say like in uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, like after you defeat Ganondorf and he turns into like Ganon, my, my mind was like kind of blown at that point. I'm like, wow, this guy's so badass. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was the one and only time I switched over to the big two-handed sword, and I was like, all right, now you're good. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with uh, the Titan Emperor, em- Empire. Um, that uh, I think Homeworld is one of those games when I just hated the enemy, and I felt like I was on a vengeance path to destroying them. <laughs> It was it was personal. You're like I'm getting rid yeah. of these guys. Say it. It's like crack is burning. I am going to burn your home world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with me, I bring the fire of a thousand suns. You will not survive this. Yeah. Totally. Uh, question number three: um, Is there any um, like trend or trope in video games today um, that you think is uh, maybe not quite as big as it should be? Something you like that you'd love to see the uh, uh, the industry as a whole kind of either either make better or uh, or keep pushing forward. Yeah, this is a tough one. Yeah, yeah, it is. And they only get <laughs> think harder, about it. So. Yeah, like one one type of game that I I don't see a whole lot of, of like the old Mist and Ribbon games that were like very exploration focused, but there was like no combat in them at all. And I mean, you could still kind of call them, um, like, they're still very much puzzle games, which there are uh, kind of still common today, but really, I feel like those games that are really exploration-focused, that don't, that at the same time don't focus on combat. Like, it's just you and the world. I think that's, need to see more of that. This one might actually be slightly ironic, considering... I mean, I guess it's not completely applicable to Venture Forth, but I actually think that there's too many roguelikes. <laughs> I think the, uh, the the strategy of, of losing everything every time you die is sometimes overplayed as a way to um, uh, sort of add difficulty and replayability into a game. And, and it's really easy for indie developers to use that as a tactic, so I mm-hmm. completely understand why it's done. Um, yeah, but it's which uh, is why I've uh, done away with a lot of that uh, type yeah. of thing in Venture Forth. But and... it's something. It's something which I was. I enjoy sometimes, but it's not something that I. I really. Love. Yeah. I think. It's um, have you ever played, right uh, Castle Doctrine? The castle. Oh. Heard of it? No. Um, well, I, I really enjoyed that game, and basically what it is is, like, you start with uh, a certain amount of money, and you have a house, and you, like, build traps in your house, and then you, like, go rob your neighbors and, like, try and get through their traps and, like, steal their money. Oops. I'm still there? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And, uh, like, it was really fun because there was a lot of really interesting things you could do in terms of designing traps in your house and that sort of thing. Um, but it had this roguelike element where, like, you could just die. Like, you go into somebody else's house, and you get trapped by one of their traps, and then you die. And the house that you've spent, like, hours des- designing is now gone. And you mm-hmm. just have to start over. 
and it's like it, it's it really ruins the experience because I feel like that game could be so much more if it was just a little bit kinder in that aspect. Sure. Yeah, I think that's that's sort of a good example of, of sort of what I'm I'm thinking is when games take that roguelike aspect and put it into something where it actually hurts other elements of the gameplay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then you don't get to put nearly as much thought into like the creation of these traps and everything because you like never have the resources to really explore it fully. So, yeah. So you kind of jumped into this um, uh, with, with your answer, Colin. Um, is there anything uh, for the next question? Is there any kind of trope that you'd like to see just go away completely? <laughs> yeah, and I don't even know if I would uh, apply what, what we were just talking about as something that I want to go away completely. Because oh I yeah, no, no, totally not. But I mean, you started, you started yeah, going yeah. in that direction where you're like, there's too many of this kind. Yeah, 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 yeah. But is there if there was one thing that you could be like, you know what, I. I never want to see this again, whether it's a game type or, or an attitude towards something. Yeah, these just keep getting tougher. The next couple are kind of goofy. So, I, w- I, I would say kind of probably some of those mobile games that are just like Skinner boxes that are just like about gambling and like draw you in and then just like force you to continuously play and like it, it like sucks your soul away. <laughs> I, I don't I don't like games like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh maybe I could follow on to that and and say games where they limit the playtime in some way as a mechanism um of of how they monetize it, which of course you mostly see in mobile games. Um but like you know, where you can only do so many turns, and you have to buy like a crystal or something to get more turns, or they accrue at a very slow rate. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, I think you know, if if you want to binge on something and like play four hours on the weekend and then not play it all week or something, then you know you should be able to do that. I shouldn't you know force you to play in a certain way. And I I think when they they especially as as I've gotten older, um, I've found I value my time much more and I'm yeah, less tolerant mean? of any situation <laughs> where they tell me how I should be spending my time and how I should be playing it. Yeah. I, I 100% Absolutely. understand that especially I've got I've got two kids that are running around in the house almost all the time so if it's not something that I can either uh, pick up and put down quickly or pause or like you know throw myself in a corner so I don't die I, I just can't play it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I t- totally understand that. Uh, next question um, you guys you know Jeremiah you came right out of school started making games um, mm-hmm. Colin you're you're kind of on the, the, the back side of this game making thing kind of helping push everything forward um, you're definitely living living a, a kind of dream is there uh, is there anything else uh, you could ever see yourself doing um, you know, any kind of fantasy crazy profession that you'd be like hey I'd love to try this one day <laughs> Um, I mean, like, one thing for me that I know I would really enjoy doing <laughs> is, um, getting into, 
like I said, I've, I've gotten a little bit into 3D modeling better, and I, I really enjoy that, and I know that I could like really enjoy just devoting fully into being able to design and create like any sort of creature that I want to. Um, I just, I feel like I happen to be uh, a little bit more talented on the programming side, and so I've chosen to stay there. Yeah, um, so thinking about like random fun things, uh, one thing that I, I almost did out of college, but I think would still be fun, maybe like, you know, in 30 years when I'm retired or something, is uh, being a, a scuba dive master at a diving resort where you just like nice. hang out on the beach all day and take people scuba diving. That's, uh, I did a lot of scuba diving when I was younger and it's something which I, I would enjoy having the opportunity to do that and get paid for it, you know. <laughs> Not yeah. that you get paid much for it. <laughs> you um, paid something, totally. That, that sounds yeah. great. And as a Even computer, if you yeah. just get paid and that you get to stay at a, you know, some sort of resort place permanently, then I think that'd yeah. be enough. Yeah. I think uh, kind of on on that note, I wouldn't mind uh, being a pilot of like uh, like commercial airliners and just like flying all over the world and being able to stay like all over the world. I would really enjoy that too. Hmm. All right, nice. Uh, next question. I I'm always searching for a better way to tell this one. Um, <laughs> I, I can tell this is going to be good <laughs> yeah if you had to step away from video games for a while and mm -hmm. you had the chance tonight um, to play any game on your wish list before tomorrow you kind of put them down for some length of time a, a significant amount of time what game would you play hmm uh, did do you say you get to play this game for like one night? Yes. One but night. but time is uh, wiggly and wobbly, and yeah. so you you get to beat the game. Like it's not like you only have. If you wanted to play through it, you could play through it. Yeah. But, but what, this would this not be the not last like thing. a game that you you spend a couple thousand hours on. Well, those you generally don't beat. <laughs> that's true yeah that's I was going to say like can I pick a, a Civ type game and just be like yeah I'm playing this forever <laughs> oh yeah no, you, you can't cheat it but it's not like oh well I'm not going to play you know Baldur's Gate again because that requires 90 hours to beat yeah. and I only have 12 yeah okay, right, right. so you can you can cheat but not within but not without a reason okay yeah, yeah. You can't make it so that you don't have to stop playing video games, because that's right. part of the question. Um, I mean, yeah, I asked that question because, like, I personally really enjoy MMOs like um, Terra and WoW and Guild Wars and that sort of thing. And like, I really want to play more Guild Wars, but it's it's a game that takes so much time and I just I don't have the time to devote to an MMO like that but I know I would really enjoy it nice yeah I completely understand that MMOs are they they have like, some of the oh, most man. amazing experiences um, yeah. and yet they require so much to put into them to actually get to those points yeah yeah 
I would say I have, I have two alternate answers. Um, one would be just because I still haven't gotten around to playing it yet, um, but I really want to, uh, Pillars of Eternity. Um, and so that's been on my mind. It's something I want to get around to, to finishing. I've just played a few minutes of it so far. Um, but then my alternate answer is that uh, if I was only going to play uh, like one, you know, theoretical night of games and then put them down for a long time, I'd probably want to play with my friends. And so I'd probably pick some MMO that everybody happened to be playing at the time, and we'd have like one last epic gaming night. Nice. Yeah. That would be the way to do it. Hmm? Um, final question. Um, at the end of our lives, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom and Toad is there to meet us with the Book of Our Deeds, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you in? Uh, wait, what do you mean? When you're dead, mm-hmm. you end up in the Mushroom Kingdom. Because <laughs> that's where we're Toad's the gatekeeper. And he, uh-huh. and, you, and he gets to say something to you before he opens okay. that gate. What does he say? That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. I would give you some hints on you know what other people have said, but generally when that happens, people just go with what other people have said. So yeah, I, I'm just yeah. gonna edit out the silence instead. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna go with a humorous option that's okay. just inspired by by the fact that it's Mushroom Kingdom and Toad, and uh, I would say look out for that blue shell <laughs> Not, okay <laughs> that would be the that would be the kind of thing that would suck there you just because you the will inevitably be first yeah nice um i mean i i don't know if this really fits with the question but it just it kind of reminds me of i don't i don't know if you guys have read the book ready player one um but in in the book, in that book, there was basically this genius inventor guy who uh, basically changed the world by inventing this like really amazing both virtual reality like system as well as the world within. And so he ended up like just changing the entire world. Like it was like the internet coming, but virtual reality. And so, like, the the book focuses around, um, like, after he dies, he sets forth this objective for, like, everybody in the world to go, go accomplish, and whoever accomplishes it first is able to, like, inherit his company. But, anyway, it, it would be really cool to be that guy who just changes the world by creating this incredible virtual world. Oh, is that what is that what he tells you? He's 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 it? like, yeah, basically. Congratulations on being like the god of all game developers. <laughs> so yeah, I I one hundred percent approve. That would be cool. I I would I would approve of that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I would one hundred percent approve. Uh, yeah. uh, nice. Well, that's it. You have uh, you passed. Thank you very much for for taking our little questionnaire for answering it truthfully. Um, I have no yes. prizes for you, um, but what we do have is Jonathan to take us home. 
Oh, that right. is a major letdown. Sorry, yep. guys. Sorry. <laughs> uh, thought you were getting something much better than that. Uh, well, guys, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, we had a great time talking to you about Venture Forth. If you could just send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about the game. Uh, well, uh, please come check out our Kickstarter. You, um, you can find it on the Kickstarter website. It's just called Venture Forth. And you can also uh, go to arclightworlds.com as well. Yes. All right. A-R-C-L-I-G-H-T Worlds Nice. Alright, well, thank you guys again and wish you the best of luck uh, as you finish out the Kickstarter campaign and, uh, you know, finish making the game. Alright, awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us on.